And welcome back to America Can We Talk. As I mentioned before the break, we're so honored to have in the studio Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Hello, sir. My pleasure to be with you, Debbie. Love having you every time you come in. I always feel like in case someone hadn't heard me, I want to give a little bit more of an introduction. Uh, well, a little bit. He's, you know, um, I have a long resume in front of but I won't read it all. But first of all, he's serving the United States Congress, representing a district in Florida. District, what was the number? 22. 22. And, um, you know, conservatives were just so happy to have him in Congress, so grateful he was there. Um, and he moved to Dallas a few years ago um, and headed up the NCPA, the National Center for Policy Analysis. Um, but he's also his military history. I, what I want to get to, and I can't find a clip, I'm just going to ask you. You have some special training in the military, and, and get some, I want to just, if you would, just tell our listeners, I know you don't like to do this, talk about yourself, but the degrees you got that were outside of just, and the training you got in the military, I want to have you tell about that. Oh, I mean, it's no big deal. I, I have two masters, one from Kansas State University, another one from the Army Command and General Staff College, uh, Airborne School, Jump Master School, Air Assault School, uh, Navy Marine Corps Parachutist, uh, you know, German Proficiency Badge. And uh, just just did what the country expected me to do. Well, I want to thank you for your service. And honestly, you, you're so good, wonderfully humble, but it's an amazing stuff. I remember one time I was reading about all the things that you did and realized it just, you know, anyway, there you did things that a lot of people don't do. So thank you for your service. My pleasure. Okay. So it's a second hour. Cruise to the news. Love doing this. Get your reaction to things. Yeah. First story was... Rahm Emanuel amazingly announced he's not going to run for mayor in mm-hmm. Chicago again. And the one article I read that I thought captured kind of what I was thinking, his his failure is an ill omen for all Democrats. I think he's throwing his hands up saying nothing works in these big cities, especially the kind of policies well, you, you bring. You know what was very interesting when uh, the Illinois Senator Dick Durbin turned around and said, you know, President Trump needs to hurry up and get in and fix Chicago. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, fix Chicago, fix Illinois. Look, the the thing is, when you look across all of our major urban centers in the United States of America, to include right here in Texas, you see the failure of progressive socialism. And what is so amazing to me is that a week after Rahm Emanuel says that he's going to step down, he comes up with this stupid idea about starting a universal basic income. The city is bankrupt, <laughs> and now he says that we want to give $500 uh, to people, just just anybody, because that's the way that we're going to stop poverty. Instead of focusing on how do we get economic growth and development, how do we get jobs, you know, into especially Southside Chicago, which starts with security first, which he does not understand. He just says we'll just give away money. You know, that was you used the expression early on about socialism and and cap, or labeled many things that Democrats were standing for. As socialism, and I think people were kind of until Bernie Sanders came along, they were kind of cautious to say, "Well, he shouldn't really call it that." It's exactly what it is. Well, absolutely right, and that was one of the things that drove the left crazy back when I was in Congress because I said, <laughs> "Here's the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and if you understand political ideology and in, in, in theory, you know, progressivism is what the European Communists rebranded themselves when they came to the United States of America." And when you're talking about wealth redistribution, nationalizing economic production, creating and expanding a welfare in any state. And the health care system. And the health care system. That's socialism. And it was Vladimir Lenin who said the ultimate goal of socialism is communism. So they are proving out to be what I said back six years ago. Absolutely. And the other thing, Lenin, I wrote this about this in my book. He said, if I can do these four things, mm-hmm. I have the control of the people. It was the health care system, the banking system, 
the education system, mm-hmm. and I forget the fourth one. It'll come to me. But I mean, it was basically if well, I can the schools. Take, yeah, education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, well, when you when you look at the Communist Manifesto, it's all lined up there. There is no individual property. There is control of the schools. There is control of the financial system, like you said, central banks. But and and there is also the control of the message through the media. So the it's left, the, media, the yeah. left in America, there are three pillars that they have to control: is the media, academia, and the courts. And that's why they're just going apoplectic about uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Yep. Yeah. I don't know what will happen on Monday. We'll just have to see how the, the Senate handles this. Okay, next item on Cruise yeah. for the News. Have you been fond this walk-away movement a little yes. bit? Okay. Hashtag walk-away. Did you see the guy who started all is, is going to have a march in Washington? I'm going to go. I mean, <laughs> No, I, look, I think it's, it's one of the things that people have to understand is that my parents were registered Democrats. John Lewis was my congressional representative when I grew wow. up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia. But my parents raised us and our family on faith, family, individual responsibility, education, service to the nation. They, they did not raise us on these far-left principles and values. And I think that when folks look at today's Democrat Socialist Party, they are finding principally that they're not connected to them. And so just the same as Ronald Reagan once you know, famously said, you know, I didn't leave the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party left me. And I think that's what this hashtag walkaway movement is all about. I really do, too. And I love the stories. I love the ability of Twitter to give people or on YouTube to give them a way to just tell their story. Yeah, but that's why they want to shut it down. Oh, the left does. Yes. yes. But these stories, these walkaway stories, the guy who found is Brandon Straka, and he's got a, he's going to have a march in Washington in October just to say all of us need something better than what the left is giving us. I love that. Okay. I cannot believe. So Cruz, the news, we got through two stories. I was going to point out the Baltimore mayor had a similar uh, episode. Did you see her? No, I didn't. Okay. Well, we're okay. We got 10 seconds. I'll just, we come back from the break. The Baltimore mayor did a tour of the city and she actually got caught out loud on tape in these low income neighborhoods saying, You can smell the rats. On that yucky note, Debbie George S., Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, will be right back. If you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. 
Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back. I'm Debbie George Alice. This is America Can We Talk? And we have in studio tonight Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And I asked him when he came on to give a little bit more of his bio. But I just want to say again, people hear him so often on Fox News Radio. He's a regular contributor there. Um, he's interviewed all the time on media. But I really, you know, the military background, everyone knows he did the Battle of Fallujah. And thank you. No, no, no I, that was, I did not do Fallujah. I was north of Baghdad. Uh, it was the the interest point going into the uh, Sunni Triangle. So, okay, I don't want to take any credit from the Marines and soldiers out there that did a hell of a great job. 
Okay, I'm glad you corrected that. Yeah. All I know is military service is serious stuff. And the things I wanted to mention, I mean, the, the kind of things that, you, you know, he has the Army Master Parachutist Badge, Army Air Assault Badge, the Navy Marine Corps Parachutist Insignia, the Italian Parachutist Wings. I mean, honestly, these are things, these are, these are accomplishments that you just kind of forget. And you also managed to be um, very focused on, on all policy of all different kinds. So just grateful for you, the breadth of what you um, know about and care Thank about. You. Thank you. Okay, now I want to turn to ask you about John Kerry. So John Kerry, who's, he's pretty not the Secretary of State, right? He used to be Secretary of State, but now he's not. But he has been over in Iran talking to the Iranians, essentially saying, chill out, don't worry. We're going to, you know, Trump will be gone someday. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm not asking whether he should be prosecuted. No, he should be prosecuted. Okay, go ahead. He should be prosecuted. And it is not just going to Iran, but also going to Paris to meet with the Iranian representatives. He's a private citizen. And the Logan Act talks, the Logan Act is what he's in violation of, and that's what the current Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has brought out and, and said that this guy's undermining the United States policy. He's undermining this current administration. Just, just, you know, I always like to, you know, put the shoe on the other foot. Let's say this was the Barack Obama administration, and it was Condoleezza Rice. Going over to Israel and and talking about, you know, you don't need to to pay attention to what the Obama administration is doing or standing up and speaking about how horrific this uh, nuclear deal is and the fact that we're sending billions of dollars. They would be going nuts on the on the on the left. But what is so frustrating is that they are able to do these things and there are never any consequences. So John Kerry should, you know, be indicted. And this is something where the, the Department of Justice should look at and say, hey, sir, you violated the Logan Act. You're a private citizen. You're meeting with a, a delegation that is an adversarial nation to the United States of America. And if you don't believe that, I mean, we can go down a whole litany of things. Uh, and, and so we're going to bring you before a grand jury uh, for violating the Logan Act. End of story. I love that thinking. In addition to all of that, the reality is Iran is, as we say so often, the number one terror exporting country in the world. Yes. Kerry is said in this interview, he was talking with them about, you know, people don't quite understand why you're doing that. Maybe if you, he was actually giving them foreign policy advice. He's signaling that we're sympathetic to you. Virtue we, signaling or something? Yes, he's <laughs> signaling sympathy with the Iranian uh, mullahs yeah. and the idea that, you know, we, we don't understand why Trump acts so crazy. We, we just want to help you adjust your behavior a little bit. This is enabling an enemy. This is encouraging an yes. enemy. It's what's a aid and comfort to an enemy. It is aid and comfort to an enemy, and providing you look the the Barack Obama administration provided material support to the enemy. When you're giving billions of dollars to a company country like Iran, that as you just stated is the number one sponsor of Islamic terrorism in the world, that's that's should not be happening. And of course, everyone goes back and says, well, this is the money that we owed them anyhow because of an arms deal. That arms deal was with the Shah of Iran. And so as soon as the Shah was overthrown and, and deposed and the Ayatollah came in, all bets were off. Deals so, off. Deals off. So we don't owe Iran anything. Yeah. And, you know, I was actually kind of, I have felt frustrated, as many have, with the Department of Justice, with Jeff Sessions. It seems like he just kind of, because he had to, um, I don't know whether he really had to, but anyway, he said he was not going, he could not get involved because of his, um, with, with all of the Mueller stuff. Because So he ended up kind of seeming like he's doing nothing. And so... But he's the only one who could bring charges against Kerry, John Kerry, right? No, I mean, you would think that. But, you know, 
I don't know what the Mueller investigation has delved off into, but this is something where the Department of Justice should do this. Right. There's no doubt about it. It doesn't have to do with Mueller. You know, Rosenstein, you know, Jeff Sessions, all of them should look and say, hey, there is something wrong going on here. And this is not political punishment. This is someone that has clearly violated a law. Just the same as when Nancy Pelosi went over and was sitting down talking with Bashar al-Assad in Syria during the Bush administration. But she was an elected official, so that was okay. I mean, you could say that was acceptable. But John Kerry is a private citizen. He should not be doing this. But this just also seems tied to the attitude you hear so much in the American left was because they have claimed that President Trump didn't legitimately win 2016 because some reason— No, no, one, no one that is not a Democrat is ever going to be a legitimate president in their mindset. Right. But this determination, as I mentioned, I don't know if you're here yet, but President Obama has been going around the country just, yeah. just pounding on not just President Trump, but the GOP, anyone who voted for President well, Trump. This is that attitude that you, they're not entitled, we, the Republicans, are not entitled to rule. We are in charge still. Our policy is going. Everybody else is just going to have to go Well, along. they believe in ideological domination. They, they want to crush any type of political opposition. That's why Barack Obama unleashed the IRS on the constitutional conservative grassroots movement that we know as the Tea Party. But I really think that Barack Obama coming out is going to work against the Democrats, especially when he come out, comes out with this hubris to say yeah. that the economy and all the things <laughs> is, is, you know, because of his policies. Yeah. You know, he spent eight years blaming his predecessor, and now he's trying to take credit uh, for something that he, when he was a, the president, said is never going to happen. President Trump doesn't have, I mean, Donald Trump doesn't have a magic wand to bring jobs back. So I I think that what Barack Obama is responding to is the fact that he is seeing everything about his quote-unquote legacy is going asunder. And more and more people are witnessing how great a failure he truly was. I believe that whole with all my heart. I really do. I do feel like the... um the media complicity with the left, the, um, oh, sure. just, you know, that's you, the real con- collusion. <laughs> yeah. well, it is a real collusion, yeah. but I do. I, I honestly, I kind of wish I had a crystal ball to see the day after the election day. We were talking when you came in around the break mm-hmm. about how I'll just tell our listeners. So my husband went to USC and they, they got trounced last night. And it says not Book happy. Horns. Yeah. It was not <laughs> a happy night at our home. Yeah. Um, but you know, my husband was saying this morning, you know, we're just, you know, we wake up, you're thinking in your first wake up, something bad happened. Oh yeah. USC lost. Okay. Way worse is in the fall in November, the day after the midterms, if we Republicans had not held on to the house and the Senate, we're going to be in just a two year battle, e- e- losing either of the house or the Senate, a two year battle with the uh, Democrats. And I, I do feel like it's just, I, I'm, Concerned and frustrated with the esteeming ability of the left to continue to push the Trump Russia narrative to push. Oh, absolutely. And, and coming back to foreign policy, when you look at John Kerry and what he's doing with Iran, you know, promising them, you know, just hold on. When you look at China and North Korea, they're all sitting back and they're bankrolling that, you know, the, the Democrats will win the House of Representatives because there won't be that same type of pressure that you see Donald Trump placing on China and North Korea or, or even Russia or Iran because they're just going to tie him up in every single way, shape, form, and fashion with silly hearings, uh, impeachment charges, and what have you. Absolutely. You had, um, for, by the way, um, Alan West, we're going to get to on um, 
in about half an hour, uh, to his new book coming out. I do want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But he also has a great website now, theoldschoolpatriot.com. And it's really fun to go to. And you had an article up, and we only have like a minute and a half in this Mm -hmm. segment, so we'll do mostly next segment. But it was called Islamic Terrorists Want Dems to Win in November. Okay, even the title is kind of funny. But on a serious note, in like a minute, and we'll go back to it after the break, but what are you talking about? I'm talking about very simply when you look at Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, Hezbollah, uh, Hamas, all of them want to see the Democrats win because they know all the pressure that has been put on them is going to be alleviated. Barack Obama was simpatico with Islamic terrorists. You go all the way back to 2009, the speech that he gave in Cairo, when he invited the Muslim Brotherhood membership, a, a designated terrorist, terrorist organization, to be front and center. Yeah. His speech at the University of Cairo, and and we can go on and talk ad nauseum ad infinitum about some of the other things he did. Well, President Trump's also been pushing back uh, very recently. I don't have the, my names of the committee in front of me, but he's been cutting funding to. Uh, he cut funding to the Palestinian Authority, two hundred billion dollars, um, two hundred million dollars, and and they don't like that. And and he has also told a Palestinian Liberation Organization, "You're evicted. Get out of Washington D.C." That's a terrorist organization. They are. They will be happy to see him gone. It is a shocking thing to think that we Americans and our taxpayer dollars have up until this point being sent in part to the Palestinian, Palestinians who in turn use it to buy weapons to fire rockets at Israel. Well, not just buy weapons, but they also uh, give restitution to the, oh. to the families of, of Islamic jihadists. Of, and, of course, they're building monuments. They're building memorials and naming streets after jihadists. Yeah, it's a shocking thing. And I I know during President Obama's presidency, people talked about that. But President Trump's decisiveness is getting in there and saying, no, we're not doing this anymore. I think it really brought the Palestinians up short. They couldn't believe, actually, from America. And he moved the embassy (laughs) from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He said, we're not going to be held hostage by you guys anymore. Love that. It's Debbie Georgias, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Come right back in four minutes. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. If you are listening to America Can We Talk, you know that my show is dedicated to preserving the exceptional idea that is America. I want to take a minute to tell you what I mean by that. Unlike almost every other country on the planet, America's culture, our very identity, has nothing at all to do with ethnicity, race, or national origin. Instead, America is all about ideas, including the most basic idea that each of us, simply because we were born has the God-given right to live out our individual version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within the guardrails of the Constitution and our laws. Preserving this requires patriots in every American generation to grasp the importance of this truth, to recognize and fight back against the subtle and not-so-subtle relentless attacks on American liberty, and to speak up for and defend the unique culture of American-style liberty. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. 
The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Asbitt, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in studio. So, tomorrow is a big holiday. Probably you didn't know that, but I will tell you that next to July 4th, in terms of patriotic holidays, tomorrow's Constitution Day. And I saw on your website, theoldschoolpatriot.com, you have a couple of pieces referring to the Constitution. And I want to start with the one you said, destroying the Republic, um, destroying this Republic and the U.S. Constitution. So, on a serious note, do you think that the Constitution is, is in serious threat in our country, under serious threat in our country? No, I, I really do, because uh, if you go back and you look at this op-ed piece that was written in the New York Times by a couple of individuals that uh, write for this magazine called Jacobin, J-A-C-O-B-I-N, and it's a socialist magazine. And what they were proposing is that the, the Constitution is is no longer relevant, and, and they're basically— you know, talking about instead of a constitutional republic, they want to have a pure democracy. As a matter of fact, they start off by saying, why is it that Wyoming is equal to California? Well, because our founding fathers in their brilliance understood that they did not just want to have a country that was uh, run by the, the demagoguery of a certain number of people. 
And so, therefore, you have a House of Representatives that's based upon population, but you have the senior statesman uh, of the Senate that is based upon two representatives from every state, which makes, you know, uh, this equality. And you would think that, you know, that's fair and that (laughs) everyone's equal and they, you know, the left would, would like that. But that's not what they want. They see that being in the way. And so when you hear people talking about we only need one body, legislative body, the House of Representatives, that is undermining our Constitution. And the great thing is tomorrow being Constitution Day. Remember, this is the day 231 years ago when Benjamin Franklin came out of Independence Hall and he met a very astute woman, probably was a relative of Debbie Georgados, <laughs> but she was a yeah. socialite like Debbie is, uh, right. <laughs> Mrs. Powell. And Mrs. Powell came up and asked Benjamin Franklin, well, doctor, what is it that we have, a republic or a monarchy? And Franklin attributed to him, famously replied, a republic if you can keep it. That challenge, that warning is so true to us today because when you look at our schools, down our high schools and our middle schools, we don't teach civics. We don't teach any understanding of the Constitution whatsoever. And you definitely don't see it on college campuses and universities. So, therefore, you have judges that are, you know, directing President Trump's administration to abide by an unconstitutional executive order from a previous administration called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which, which is totally unconstitutional. DACA, you know, everything about immigration and naturalization, that's enumerated power to the legislative branch. But when you have someone like a President Obama stands up and says, I have a pen and a phone, I'm going to do whatever I want. And in a State of the Union address, make that assertion, and people actually stood and cheered and clapped. Yep. That's an undermining of everything that this country is supposed to stand for. Yeah, you know, the Constitution, I I do love it, and I love that we have a day honoring it. And I know that more schools, in part because our mutual friend Nick Adams has gotten this uh, children's Constitution. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, a Constitution for kids. I think he has one for middle school, maybe for younger kids. But the basic, start to understand why it matters. Because, you know, you think, if someone said, well, we're going to have a law now that we think about it, because women are kind of dumb, so we're going to take away the women's vote. Because you have a constitution, it's above the right of the voters to say, because we put that in the constitution. Not, I mean, it's in, in one of the amendments, but I mean, it's part of our constitution now. It says women can vote. It is a buffer against a popular, trendy... The uh, tyranny of the masses. Yeah, the tyranny of the masses. Absolutely. And, and so you think about, you know, when you talk about constitution, Day, and I want to challenge all the parents out there and the grandparents and aunts and uncles. If you're sitting down with your child tomorrow, when they come home from school... Ask them, what did you learn in school today? And if your kids tell you that, that they did not have any conversations about the Constitution, this is what you need to be fearful of. If they're not talking about the Constitution in our schools on Constitution Day, they're definitely not talking about it on any other day. The other brilliant thing I want to be sure to bring up about the Constitution Day is back, I think it was before Obama was even a state senator, he was in an interview, and I found it again, I Googled it um, a long time ago, but he referred to the Constitution in, in denigrating terms because he said it's a charter of negative liberties. That was his term. What he was arguing was the Constitution prevents people who... And how he sees himself as a as a person who would do so much good for the country, for the people, if he could just have all this power, yes. that the Constitution prevents it. And that's exactly what that question, that exchange between Mrs. Powell and Benjamin Franklin was about. 
a constitutional republic with a representative democracy, not a constitutional monarchy where the executive branch can just stand up and, you know, buy your leave or, as Ramsey said in, uh, in the Ten Commandments, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's what Barack Obama wants. When Barack Obama ran in 2008, and his campaign slogan was, yes, we can. Yeah. It was not about the individual citizen. It was about, yes, we can as government. And that's an important thing that Republicans don't understand the philosophy of the left. And, and I know that you just recently got a book that was mandatory reading <laughs> for every single young Army officer when I came in in 1983, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And Sun Tzu talks about you must know yourself, you must know your enemy, you must know the environment, in every battle, you will always be successful. I am going to read it. Actually, I, I mentioned to you on a break, too, we had Colonel John Antal sometime over the summer, and I was mentioning the book to him. He said, oh, yes, it's great. And I said, well, I mentioned to him that you always co- uh, quote from it. So I thought I should give it and read it. So I didn't want to just be relying. <laughs> I want to know what it said myself. You know, the other big thing about the Constitution, I just think it's just, you know, People think it's an antiquated document, and it just kind of is, you know, we'd, we'd do it differently if we had it now. What the founders were doing was trying to set up something, a structure, that could prevent tyranny a thousand years from now. And they if, did. And they did, if you would just follow it. But we have, in our country, in many ways, begun to undermine it. You alluded a moment ago to the uh, ju- the uh, courts that are just saying, well, you know, we really kind of liked Obama's idea. We don't really like Trump, so we're just going to we're gonna up- either uphold this unconstitutional order that Obama di- mm-hmm. um, wrote, or we're going to tell President Trump you can't undo an unconstitutional order. It's astonishing. It's the judges in federal courts that are saying, they're kind of smarter than the Constitution system. Well, it is the judges that don't understand the the enumerated power of Article Three, the judicial branch, is to interpret law, not make law. So that all of a sudden when you have the Obergefell versus Hodges case, where five people decide that they're going to make same-sex marriage the law of the land. No, you cannot make law. You know, that has to go up through the legislative process, and it has to be signed into law by the executive because the executive is supposed to implement, execute, and, uh, you know, support the laws that are established. So we have a system that is all upside down because we're not studying our Constitution anymore. We're not understanding the system of checks and balances, the co-equal branches of government, the enumerated powers. So parents, please ask your child tomorrow, what did you learn in school today? And if they did not learn about the Constitution, you should be very nervous. I couldn't agree more. Um, And tomorrow being Constitution Day, I want to mention also, there's this, um, I remember when it happened, right after President Obama was, I think when he was running, or shortly after he was elected, there began to be more people in this country renewedly looking back at the Declaration of Independence Mm -hmm. and the Constitution. And the Federalist Papers. And the Federalist Papers, saying... Because they were thinking, can he do that? I mean, it was like it was honestly an unintended consequence of his leftism and his determination for power that American citizens started saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not allowed. And I love that energy. Yeah. I love that energy of people saying, I want to read the Declaration myself. You know, it, one of the things that I always say is when Barack Obama stood up, I think it was in Columbia, Missouri, and said we're five days away from fundamentally transforming uh, the United States of yes. America. You know, I grew up down south. I went to uh, I went to University of Tennessee, born and raised in Georgia. If someone were to stand up and say we're five days away from fundamentally transforming SEC college football, <laughs> okay, yeah, you, you know, everyone's going to stop. <laughs> what are you talking about, Bubba's, Bubbets, everybody's going to say, what are you talking about? 
But yes, someone said that about our country. Yeah. They and said this no. is. Yep, and you know, you we've talked other times too about this, but I just think there's a um, there's a fundamental need to value the unique, extraordinary greatness of America, which is not any has nothing to do with race, skin color, ethnicity, everything to do with ideas woven into those founding documents. And the only way to preserve America is to know what they say and then vote to support it and to argue against and speak out when you see things. That are inconsistent with that. It's the equality of opportunity versus the equality of outcomes. And always remember, America is the world's longest-running constitutional republic. I like that. Longest-running, con- it is longest-running constitutional republic. Yeah, and you know, folks, this uh, this Constitution Day, we could come back from the break. We're going to talk uh, next about. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West what he thinks our founding fathers would think of where we are today. And then I'm going to turn and talk about his book. He's got a new book coming out, um, and it is uh, out in a couple weeks. Is October that right? the 16th, and thank you. I'll be at your home for a book signing. Yes, absolutely. It's called Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Great title. And um, Debbie George Addis and Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, from free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. 
Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georges. We have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in studio. Tomorrow's Constitution Day, so yep. and we're discussing the Founding Fathers. So That's more important than sitting home watching the Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. I was born and raised in Atlanta, so, I mean, look, you can always go back and, like, replay or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very, very glad you're here. And uh, so, uh, yes, it is a Cowboys game tonight. And I will just tell you, listeners, because it reminded me of this point, upset as my husband was about the USC team losing, we cannot wake up the day after Election Day in the fall and think, dang, we lost the house. I mean, I should have knocked on 10 more doors. I should have made for me a few more phone calls. We have to be activists now so we don't have a really, really or, bad or, day. Or, you know, okay, great. The Cowboys beat the Giants tonight. But uh, what happens when you wake up and realize that there is no more U.S. Constitution because the left has gotten into power and they have completely fundamentally transformed your country? So you have to stay uh, focused on what really is the big game uh, for, for the future and legacy of, of this incredible nation. Which is exactly why I do my show every week. I don't have, I'm not a radio person by background, I'm actually a lawyer by background, but I got into doing this show and doing public speaking just because I think that the extraordinary identity of America is under assault from the American left, the anti. My friend of mine said, stop calling the American left the anti American left, and we need to be in defense of it. We need to be rising up in defense of it. Well, we don't need to defend, we need to put them on defense. That'd be good. <laughs> we need to put them on defense. Tell us what is so great about what you believe in, because it really sucks in Venezuela. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, so what would the founding fathers say? I'm just curious. How far away would you say? I think the founding fathers would come back and they would say, "Why are you denigrating us? Why are you demeaning us? 
Why, yes. why are you attacking and, and assaulting us? I think Thomas Jefferson would stand uh, there in Charlottesville or go to the campus of the University of Virginia and say, uh-huh. why are you trying to take down my statue? I, I created the University of Virginia. I wrote the Declaration of Independence. I was your third president. Why are you not proud of me uh, in, in this day? Yeah. Uh, George Washington, I, I think that he would go to Alexandria and say, why are you removing my pew from this church? Who is it offending? You know, I, I just I just find it absolutely absurd. And, and I think that, you know, if those men who took that field at Lexington Green on April the 19th, 1775, they would say, why is it in Massachusetts now I can't be armed? Oh, this boy. Is what, this is what That's I That's a good one. Yeah. I, I tell you, my, my two cents about it is I think that these founders were so, they, they were well read. They were prescient. Yes, and they were they had read the philosophers, they had thought Locke, Montesquieu, all of these guys. And they applied those ideas yes. and to to look at America where we are not cognizant of those ideas, cognizant of those mm-hmm. ideas, we're not focusing on them. Wouldn't, we don't. wouldn't you love to see James Madison debate Barack Obama? <laughs> that would be what is that expression about? Yes, that would that would be amazing. That'd yes. be a woodshed. <laughs> He'd take him out behind the woodshed. But but that's what that's what I'm saying. I I don't think we get into that mindset. And that's why at the end of the piece that I wrote, no, the founding fathers can't come back and walk the streets, but they should be walking the streets inside each and every one of us. In our hearts, in our minds, in our voting, in our speaking up. Okay, so you have a new book coming out. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to tell you the title is Hold Texas, comma, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death. Great title. And so, I mean, yeah, I guess I'll start with why'd you write it? You know, a lot of people, and, and that's kind of what I start out with, you know, people are going to say, you know, Colonel West, why did you write this book? Well, I remember as a kid with my dad sitting down and watching that classic movie, The Alamo, mm-hmm. and just being taken, I mean, you know, John Wayne, Richard Whitmark, you know, Lawrence Harvey, and just saying, you know, Dad, these guys, they, they, they stayed and they fought down, yeah. and, and they all lost their lives. And when I think about this little Nike thing about believing something, even if it means <sighs> sacrifice everything— these men believed in something, 183 of them for 13 days against insurmountable odds, and they refused to give up. When, when Colonel William Barrett Travis drew that line in the sand, they crossed that line and said, you know, we're with you. When he wrote that letter on February 24th, 1836, and he underlined three times, victory or death. Yep, victory he meant or death, it. yeah. But look at where we are today. And what is so amazing to me is that this incredible beacon that Texas is for the United States of America, the economic growth and opportunity that you have, all of these companies and corporations moving here and people moving here. But why would they bring their ideology and philosophy from those failed states that they're fleeing from? And that's exactly what you see happening. So now here we are today in Texas where you have people that want to change the name of the capital city. Well, you have people, well, you have people, I mean, last week at the uh, Texas School Board of Education, they had to decide whether or not they would still characterize the defenders of the Alamo as being heroic. Right. So there is something happening here. You you were talking about uh, Senator Ted Cruz running. uh, The guy's nickname is Bob. It's not that. Not B-E-T-O. No, it's Bob. Okay. (laughs) His name is Robert Francis O'Rourke. You can call him Bobby if you want. (laughs) Okay, but it ain't that, that other cool-sounding thing. Okay, Bob but, it is. But but when I look at Bobby, Bobby would not have crossed that line. Right, he's a sissy. Bobby would not right. have stood up there on, on those ramparts. Bobby would not have been with Sam Houston when he charged at uh, San Jacinto and wiped out Santa Ana in 18 minutes. 
Bobby would not have been there in Gonzales and said, come and take it. That is what is being lost in, in the state of Texas, and that is what we need to fight for. And I don't think enough people are talking about it. I love what everything you just said. I love it. And, you know, we say in Texas, I know we have listeners everywhere, and I love all of America, but here in Texas we often say how, you know, America is the beacon of liberty to the world. We, we show the world how you do freedom and liberty. And within America, Texas is that. And, I mean, we didn't even know we moved here 18 years ago. We just, I mean, we got here, we thought, we felt like we just came home. We just love the spirit and that, that, that uh, spirit that, kids used to learn in the school uh, in elementary school and mm-hmm. high school and they and and they're not so sure of it anymore and too many adults aren't sure of it they they aren't sure if we should be proud of it maybe it's it's same it's the same kind of timidity about stating america's extraordinary exceptional identity mm-hmm. that's happening here people say well i'm not sure we should say we're so great the strength uh, our strength as a country and our strength as a state blesses everyone of every ethnicity, race, national origin, and certainly every economic group. The abundance we have in America blesses the poorest among us the most. It does. And and another reason why this book and this state of Texas means a lot to me, you know, I went to the University of Tennessee, and, you know, our our moniker, our nickname is the volunteers. It's not the tigers. It's not the, you know, the the, the pigs, the the hogs (laughs) or or whatever. Yeah. And and when you understand why that school is called the Tennessee Volunteers, it's because of Davy Crock and those people that came here. I that never stood. knew that. It's because of the students at the University of Tennessee wow. who left school, who volunteered to join the, the, the Army to fight in the Mexican War. See, th- th- that's the important thing about learning our history. So that when you're there on Rocky Top and, and you know, you, you become a volunteer for life, because that's what we call ourselves as, mm-hmm. as alumni, that has a very special meaning. And I can't think of a better place for this Tennessee volunteer to be than to be in Texas right now, to be standing on the 21st century Alamo ramparts. That is so well said. Well, I'll tell you, folks. And I'm not even a Georgetown University <laughs> Law School graduate. <laughs> well, very well said. And um, <laughs> actually, Georgetown could use some help. I was mentioning in the break, one of my law professors, uh, whose last name is Seidman, S-E-I-D-M-M, and name him, he's been out there agitating to get rid of the Constitution and trying to get the uh, Ivy League law school professors to get with him, just say, it's kind of, we're, we're past this. It is like we're too in- they're too intellectual to be smart, or they're, they're, too, they're too intellectual to get that kind of gut love of liberty and the comprehension of what, you know, what the Constitution, how it protects us. And see, that's why I wish John Jay could debate your professor. Yes. John Jay, who was one of the three with Madison and Hamilton that yep. wrote the right. Constitution. You, you know, and, and when you, everyone's running out and seeing this play Hamilton. But understand who Alexander, Alexander Hamilton was and what he did and, you know, where he came from. And that is the American story. He was a kid that was, you know, he didn't have his father. He didn't know who his father was. Some people would call him a bastard child. But he came here and he found success in standing up and fighting at the side of George Washington and mm. becoming our first Secretary of the Treasury, having a part in writing our Constitution, the Federalist Papers. That's why I say America is about equality of opportunity that does not regard where you're born, where you come from. It's here. But if we do not understand who we are fundamentally, here in Texas and across this country, the people that believe in the equality of outcomes, like Ocasio-Cortez, Bobby O'Rourke, and all these other folks, they'll take this country away. 
They certainly will. On the subject of Ocasio-Cortez, the woman, this is the woman who won the primary in New York against a very long-term 20-year incumbent Democrat. She Did you see her picture? She was... Uh, <laughs> She's pretty much dressed to kill, man. She was dressed in a $3,500 pantsuit, uh, standing next to a construction worker and, you know, being one of the people. She's with the people. And I'm, you know, I don't... I've never even... I've known... Oh, no item of clothing that costs anything like that. I can't even imagine that. And she was oblivious and very defensive when someone pointed it out. She was just- Be- Because for, for them, it's like the old Soviet Politburo. There's a cut line. And the elites are above the cut line, being the political, entertainment, media, uh, elites, cultural elites, academic elites. And then there's the rest of us, all of the serfs. And that's why I think another good book that people should read is Frederick Hayek's The Road to Serfdom. Yes. Okay, because this is, uh, this is what we're on. We're, we're on that path. But Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders has three homes. One of them is a lake home uh, on Lake Champlain. So this is how they want everyone else to live. Right. This is Nancy Pelosi attitude, too. The same thing. Yeah. And home. Maxine Waters. Yep. The, who doesn't live in her district and has a multimillion dollar home somewhere else. It's always true. In fact, even in Cuba, every place where this is tried, whenever you have socialism or in the background communism in the mindset, the ruling class will tell you and sell it by fairness. If you go to to Bobby O'Rourke's website, you will discover that he has the happy, friendly, you know, engaging oh, terms. So nice. And he's going to share and make everything fair again. At the end of the day, he's talking about socialism, which just like in Cuba, what you what we all learned watching that country, the the ruling class has plenty of money and plenty of things and plenty Nicholas of homes. Maduro looks pretty healthy. Yeah, he he's a little yeah, he's a little beefy. Yeah. Yeah, because he has plenty to eat. Okay. As usual, when you were here, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, time goes by quickly. Thank you so much for coming My in. My pleasure. And very quickly you can tell our listeners your book is available. Again, the title is Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death. You can pre order through Amazon.com comes out officially October 16th and October the 12th. Be at the home of Debbie Jorgadis for three hours of a book signing. If you want to email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com, I'll tell you all about it. Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.